Now, breakthrough, breakthrough. Breakthrough is an act or an instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle. Uh, anybody ever face an obstacle in your life? Anybody ever face a challenge, something in your life where you might feel stuck? Uh, I, I, in my life, there will be seasons where I feel stuck in one area. It's, I got all these other areas that are working, but this one area, it ain't working so well. And, and I'd love to tell you that in life, there's a day where you no longer have any obstacles, but I don't think that ever happens on this side of eternity. It's almost like I just want to fight a new devil. I'm just tired of fighting the same old one that I've been fighting. Come on. I, I want a new challenge. Get me unstuck. And, and I'm praying this year that this is a year of breakthrough for you in our church. Maybe you need a breakthrough financially. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your relationships. Maybe it's your health and you're saying, God, look, I just, I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. Maybe it's your marriage or your job or I don't know what it is, but I am believing that this is the word for our church this year, that God has really clearly spoken to me that this is a year that we are going to experience breakthrough. And I've been studying a scripture that I want to give you this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. This is one that I've just been praying. This is not where we're going to park at this morning, but one that I've been praying. I've been praying it just about every single day. I shared it with our leaders this past week. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. It says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. That God, he is the one that goes with me, that he fights for me against my enemies to bring us victory. That there ought to be a point in our life where God does the fighting. There ought to be a point in our life where we say, God, the victory is yours. I'm gonna listen to what you have to say and I'm going to obey. Why? Because when I do that, that's when I experience victory in my life. God never intended for us to live a life of defeat, but a life of victory. And I declare over you that this is your year. Your year of victory. Your year of victory. And the message today, the title, if I were to title it, is when it doesn't make sense. When it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to share from an Old Testament story. I started this with our night of worship, our first Wednesday with our dream team. But I just can't shake it. I keep feeling like I've got to go back to this and really felt the Lord lead me to share this to you, with you this morning, and it's the story of Naaman. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general. He was a great man. He had high standing with the people and with the king. He had prominence. He had great wealth. He had all these things going for him. He was the man. And yet, though he had all these things, he still had leprosy. And leprosy back in those days was a skin disease that was incurable. When you had leprosy, you were shunned, you were separated, you were isolated. So it was interesting that he had all these things going for him. And even in the scripture, it said God gave him victory, which is why he was such a great general and a warrior. And yet, though God was with him, he still had leprosy. And the story goes that, a long story short, he goes to see the prophet Elisha, and Elisha tells him through a series of events what to do, and then Naaman eventually does what he says, and God miraculously heals him of the leprosy. And I believe this morning you're going to get a key to breakthrough in your life through this story. I believe it's going to help you. I think you're going to be able to see yourself in this story and let God speak to you on how to move forward in breakthrough in your life. I'm going to go to 2 
2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. This is where we're going to park this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. Verse 1 says, Naaman was general of the army under the king of Aram. He was important to his master who held him in the highest esteem because it was by him that God had given him victory to Aram. So look at it. God gave him victory. God's with him. Clearly, you can see that God is with him. It says he's truly a great man, but he is afflicted with leprosy, which is a grievous skin disease. It's incurable. So here you have a great man, Naaman. He's, he's an amazing man. He has wealth. He has strength. He has ability. He has skill. He is a great warrior. He is someone that everyone is looking up to, but yet he has an affliction. He has a disease. And I wonder if in our lives, we are not a lot like Naaman, that he's really a picture or a type of us in our lives. See, you can be a great man. You can have lots of success as a man or a woman in the business industry. You can have physical health. You can be fit like Dwayne, who is the epitome of fitness. I know, I'm so jealous. I know, Leslie, that's his wife hollering. You can be rich and strong. Always embarrassing, but he's a spiritual son. You can be rich. You can be famous. You can have all the accolades of life, and everybody say, man, you're amazing. But I would venture to say everyone has an area in your life that needs healing. Everyone. And it doesn't change on this side of eternity. It's not like you get saved and all of a sudden you're perfect. And I wish I could stand up here and say I was perfect, that I didn't have any hurts, habits, and hangups. But let me tell you, I got some junk in the trunk, and it's not physical. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, I got things that I'm working through. I, I go to see a counselor. I want to let you know. You, I got a shrink. I got people I talk to. I got a small group. I got, why? Because on this side of eternity, look, you all have an affliction. We all have disease on the inside. Some of us, it's pride. Some of us, it's jealousy and envy. Some, it's fear. You're afraid. You're afraid of success. Maybe you're afraid of rejection. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're angry. You're just, you're angry all the time. The truth is all of us are afflicted with something and we all need to be healed by God. And so we find ourselves really looking at Naaman and saying, man, Naaman, I can relate to you that I need some help in my life. God, I need you to heal me. And so look at what it says. It continues. And so it happened that Aram on one of his raiding expeditions against Israel, they captured this young girl who became a maid to Naaman's wife. So now Aram, what they would do is they'd go out into Israel and they would go and take a little village and a little place, maybe a little city, and they wouldn't go to try to defeat all of Israel, but they'd do these little skirmishes. And on one of these skirmishes, they took this little girl and they gave her to Naaman and then Naaman actually gives her to his wife, so she becomes a maid. Now, listen, she's not there because she wants to be. She is a slave taken against her will. She was abducted. She didn't want to be there. She is in slavery. Now, I don't know what it's like to be in physical slavery, but I have felt the chains of bondage. I have felt what it's like to feel locked in a prison that I can't escape. I know what it's like to have a smile on my face and my heart is full of pain. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? You feel this emptiness and you, you want to break free from a prison, but you feel enslaved. You're held captive against your will. You're in a place that you don't want to be in. I mean, think about this. Some of you have found yourself enslaved and imprisoned by debt. Maybe you're a young person and you got your first credit card. You thought it was a blessing. Praise God, they gave me a $5,000 line of credits. Not realizing the moment you spend it, it's chains that are now wrapped around your life. And at first, it's an emergency. You know what I'm talking about. You didn't go and spend it on luxury things. You were just trying to make it. Maybe some groceries because your check fell short this week. Maybe your car broke down. You didn't want to spend the money, but your paycheck didn't come in time. So you go charge it on the credit card. And now it's $1,000. Well, I still got a couple of thousand more. But the next thing you know, you charge and you charge and you charge. And now you're fine because your credit card is overcharged. And your interest now has gone to 24 to 30%. And you have found yourself enslaved to debt. Not what you wanted, but now you're a slave. Maybe your job. You graduated out of college, you just got the first job they gave you, not really the job you wanted, but you just went and got it. You thought, well, I'll go keep looking for another place. And so you put out resumes, nobody, nobody took those resumes and asked you to come and interview. So now it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, you're in the same job doing the same thing. You feel like you're a slave to the system. You're dying, you have no purpose, no meaning, and you're just existing in life. You become a slave to your job. Some of you are in unhealthy relationships. You become a slave to that relationship. You were looking for love in all the wrong places. You just needed some acceptance, some affirmation. You gave your heart to a boy or to a girl. You thought, well, I'll just give them my heart. Little did you know they would take your life. And then they discard you when they're done with you. And then you move on to the next guy that'll pick you up or the next girl that'll embrace you. And you move from one person to the next person to the next person. You find yourself enslaved to unhealthy relationships. This young girl, she found herself in slavery. Wasn't her choice. Wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't what she thought her life would be all about. But what's interesting is that God's going to use her in slavery to be a catalyst for someone else's miracle. I want you to know you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You don't have to have every area of your life perfect, that even if you find yourself in bondage or in slavery in one area, God can still use you to be the catalyst for someone else's miracle. The devil is a liar. He can go on back to... You can finish my sentence. I was going to cuss, but I didn't. They said I cussed a couple of weeks ago, but I don't believe them. You can be the catalyst. See, the enemy wants you to think, look, if you've got bondage in your life, you cannot be the miracle to someone else's problem. But the truth is God wants you to get over your mess and be someone else's miracle. Look, keep going into the next verse. He says, in one day she said, so she took the initiative. That's the amazing part. She, she actually is the one that says, look, look to her mistress. Oh, if my master could meet the prophet of Samaria, he would be healed of his sickness or his skin disease. So she's taking the initiative. So I love this because when you look at her life, what you see is this. She didn't allow the slavery to make her bitter. She let it make her better. And when we find ourselves in hard times, the question is, what's your attitude? 
Look, everybody finds yourself in a hard time. I mean, everybody finds yourself in bondage in an area of your life. But what's your attitude? Are you going to allow it to make you bitter or are you going to allow it to make you better? And that's the key is, right, God, just help my heart. God, you're not the God of bondage. You're not the God of, of slavery. So, God, for me, even though I'm in this, I know I'm not going to stay here. So, God, help me to be better, not bitter. Now, to Naaman's credit, check it out. Naaman must have showed this girl some kindness. He must have been loving and kind and affectionate to her. I mean, we don't know. We're kind of drawing within the lines. But the truth is, if he wasn't, she probably wouldn't have tried to help him. You know, if he wasn't nice to her, how many know she'd probably be like, I hope he dies. Let that skin disease eat him all up. <laughs> right? 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 I mean, she's a little girl. She hadn't got the maturity of us adults that would do it whether or not we felt it. So as a little girl, it's just the condition of her heart. So clearly, Naaman has embraced her. Naaman has loved her. Naaman must have been very favorable to her. And probably, if it's me, I'm thinking of me, probably treated her like a daughter, probably showed her love. He didn't have to. He didn't owe it to her. She was actually a possession or a piece of property. And so somehow, he showed her affection. And what we need to know from there is how I treat people matters. So think about it. He was already laying the groundwork to his miracle by just simply showing kindness, and he didn't even know it. How do you treat the waitress or the waiter at Texas Roadhouse who messes up your order? Right? You see, because they, they, they can't do anything. You're the one that's like, here's your tip, and Christians are the worst. You go there on a Sunday, not, not our church, praise God. They say, oh, that's Anchor Ben. I want, it, I want them to say, my section. But right, it's like you messed up my food. I'm not giving you a tip. I'm not giving, why? Because you're going to serve me. What about the people in the drive-thru that mess up your order? And you know, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. You don't even pull out. There's a place they do it every time. I don't even pull out. Hold up. Hold up. Let me check. And you know it's messed up. All right, look, I had this. So, so the question is, how do you go back to them? Are you rude? Are you ugly to them? Do you, do you go back mean and hateful? You're like, but does it matter? Well, it does matter because they could be the key to your miracle. What about that neighbor who's got the dog that won't shut up? You know what I'm talking about. They just, you thought about murdering the dog. You love dogs, but not that dog. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You just, the other day a dog woke me up and I thought, I'll just go shoot. It doesn't even matter. I got a pellet gun. It don't even matter. How do you treat that? What, because your neighbor, they don't owe you anything. But the truth is, how you treat people matter. What about if you're a job and, and your vendor? Like, you're paying people to do a service for you. Like, come on, you need to do that service right. Are you degrading to them? Do you belittle them? Do you talk down to them? Or do you show them love and kindness? Do you give them grace when they mess up? And it's like, does it really matter? It absolutely matters. It sets the groundwork for the miracle God wants to do in our lives. And so many times we sabotage it before we even get down the road because we treat people terrible. How you treat people matters. Look, go into verse 9. It says, so Naaman with his horses... So he hears about the prophet. The king sends him to go and to speak to the prophet. And so now we find them down the road, and they're with their horses and chariots. They arrive in style, and they stop at Elisha's house. Now, Elisha's the one that can bring the healing through God that he needs. And it's interesting here because we see Naaman has an entourage. He's got a posse. He's got a group of people that are rolling with him, and you know, back then it was common to go on a journey with people because they understood you need people and you need relationships. 
Like I need people to go with me so that we can be safe, that we can journey through life together and that we can hold each other accountable. And so back then they rolled with people and they depended on one another for life itself. But somehow in America today, we've forgotten all of that. But I love what Naaman, look, the people were with him and they loved him in spite of his sickness. He was a leper. They didn't have to do anything for him, but yet they loved him enough to say, look, we love you and we're going to go on this journey with you to experience healing from the sickness that has plagued you. Here's my question. Who's your entourage? Who's in your journey of life helping you get better from your sickness? And the problem is the devil has Christians so isolated. Well, if I show my sickness, they're going to judge me. No, baby, the Bible says if we'll show our sickness, if we'll confess our faults one to another and pray for each other, we will be healed. So he knows that if he can get you to live by yourself and not have an entourage or what we call them, we don't say entourage, we say small group. Like you got a small group, you got people that say, hey, here's my sickness, here's, here's my pain, here's, here's my junk in my trunk, and don't judge me. Love me, go with me on this journey of life. And I love my granny, here's my granny small group, throw it up there, boom. Judy and all my ladies, Judy, all, Reba and all, they sit right there on the fifth row on the first service with me. My granny will be over here and... You know, my granny is the second one. You got Miss Phyllis and then Rosa Lee, my granny. She's 82 years young. These ladies are 55 to 82 years young. Come on, somebody. And I'll never forget, my granny, when we started the church, you know, uh, we, it was funny. I, I kept saying, Granny, you got to get in a small group. Got to get in a small group. And she said, Baby, those people at your church are so young. I'm so old. I said, Granny, there are more mature people at our church. You're not the only one. Well, it's all I see. I said, Granny, come on, Granny. I'm telling you, there's, there's, come on, where's all my mature people? You're like, I don't know. I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> I'm not going to tell my age. And about two years ago, she jumped into the small group, and uh, they meet for coffee. And she actually said, this is our therapy session. She said, because what we talk about at the table doesn't leave the table. We talk about our successes, we talk about our failures, we talk about what's going good, what's going bad. She said, we never miss a week, and I'm telling you, she said, it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. She is 82 years young, and she has an entourage. Why? Because we all have sickness. We all have areas that, that the enemy wants to isolate you, and I've, I've learned this, you're only as sick as your secrets. So if nobody knows your biggest secret, your biggest sickness, whatever it is, then you are a sick person. But when we expose that, now I'm not going to expose my deepest, darkest to everybody, but there better be somebody that knows everything. And the truth is, if you don't have that, we have that for you here at the church. And it's our small group. Someone said, well, don't I have to wait till they launch again? No, go this week. Why? Because you need an entourage that will walk through your life with you to experience healing. So Naaman has this, and let's continue to read. It says, Elisha sent out a servant to meet him. Now, Elisha knows that Naaman's out there, and he knows who Naaman is because Naaman would have been famous. But I find it very interesting that Elisha didn't even go out there to meet him. He sends his servant to meet him with some instructions. Now, here's his instructions. With this message... Go out to the river Jordan and immerse yourself seven times. Your skin will be healed 
and you'll be as good as new. Now, I don't know about you, but this is really a point in the scripture. If you just pause, you'd be shouting and dancing, right? You're like, praise God. I needed healing. The prophet's servant didn't really like it, but he did tell me how to be healed from this sickness. I've got the answer. But the crazy thing is, that's not really what happens. Look at what happens in verse 11 and 12. Naaman loses his temper. He turns on his heels saying, I thought, I thought, everybody say, I thought. That's the problem is our thinking. So he says, I thought he'd personally come out to meet me, call on the name of God and wave his hand over the diseased spot and get rid of all of the disease. So what we see right here is this, Naaman is offended. He's offended. He actually is offended three times in this one encounter in his life. So what we've got to know is that the enemy will use offense to sabotage the miracle and the breakthrough that God wants us to experience in our life. So here he's like, look, first off, the servant comes out to meet me. Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know my pedigree? Like the king wrote a letter, this boy ought to come out and greet me personally. But the reason he didn't is because God's, he, he's not going to let Naaman look to a man. He wants Naaman to look to God for his source. And sometimes we get so offended because it's not who we thought it was going to be that would come and pray for us, that would do whatever we were hoping. We're better than that. They should have brought their best. So Naaman is offended. He's insulted and he feels disrespected and really he's lost control because that's what offense is. Offense comes because of pride and it also becomes of, because of control. We want to control the situation because he says, look, that man should have waved his hand over me and then the disease and the sickness would have gone, but that was not what God's plan was. God's like, no, no, you're going to have your miracle, but you're going to do it my way. Everybody say my way. It's not our way, it's his way. So when we're desperate, we ought to say, God, I'm so desperate, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Not allow the enemy to cause us to walk out into a fence and miss the very miracle that God has already for you. Look at what he says. He says, over the, the disease, the Damascus River, the Abana, the Farpar, are cleaner by far than any of the other rivers of Israel. Why not bathe in them? At least I would get clean. The Jordan River is dirty. It's nasty. So what he's saying is, look, I'm better than that. I deserve better. There's a self-righteousness that's not godly. And then he goes on, he says, he stomped off mad, mad, mad. He, he was mad, just mad. Here's the crazy thing. Naaman knows what to do for the miracle, and he's still mad. He knows what, the answer has come. The prophet has spoken, and Naaman is mad. I wonder if that's not a picture of what happens in church. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, someone's like, Pastor, I need a financial breakthrough. I can't pay the bills. It's almost as if I just have this, everything I get, I lose. It's, I just keep losing it. I keep losing it. Well, the Bible has the answer to your financial breakthrough, and I shared it two weeks ago. How many of you guys have been experiencing financial breakthrough from that message? 
I've heard story after story. Jared was telling me how God renewed a passion inside of them for tithing and offerings. And he said, after the message, the Lord spoke to them, him and his wife, to give. And they gave. And check it out. That was Sunday they gave. He was telling us in our men's group, all my brothers in here, you remember the story. He said, Monday morning, he had a $900 check in the mail. In the mail. And he just said, listen, man, it's just God just renewed inside of me the financial breakthrough. And so I wonder if this is not what happens. You come in and the pastor says, tithe. You're like, no, no, I got it, God. This, I get you. No, I need a miracle. It's finances. God, I need a financial miracle. And, and it's in the Bible. It's in Malachi chapter 3. But all the church wants is your money. Well, that's a lie. Maybe some churches, but not this church. That, come on, somebody. It's like... Yeah, so, but, but you say, well, all the church wants is your money. No, but where else are you going to learn about finances if not the house of God because you need a miracle from God? And so you know what to do and you know about the offerings and you know about it, but you leave offended because it's not what you wanted to hear. You want some other method. You want some other way. It's like, God, no, I, no not that, Pastor. Don't go there. Like, give me another. No, no, just the word of God. Maybe you need to experience healing in your life. You're like, Pastor, I'm just, I'm broken on the inside. I've just, my relationships. Pastor, I need you to fix my wife. Like, that's the problem. Come on. Wives are like, Pastor, just fix my husband. And parents are like, just, just fix my kids. The kids are like, somebody fix my parents. They are jacked up. <laughs> and all my young people said, Amen. You know, so you're saying, I need healing, but, but you know, God, I just, and, and, and the whole time God is saying it's in small groups. That's James 5, 16. Isn't that what it says? Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you might be by healed. But no, pastor, I got it. No, I want to experience healing, but I don't want to do that small group thing. See, you know what to do, but you're offended. Like I've already, so, and you said, but I'm not offended at this church. No, you got offended at another church, which is why you came here so guarded. It's why you came here and you come in, and listen, I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm just, so you come and, and what will happen is you, you could come to church for 20 years, but you're never going to experience healing until you get discipled. And that happens in small groups, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And there's no other way to do it. God created us to live in the context of relationships. So if you want to experience healing, you have to be vulnerable with people. So we know what to do, but we don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Maybe you, you'd say, God, I just, I need to experience hope in my life. I, I need hope. You know, I, I feel like there's no meaning. There's no purpose in my life. And pastor every week and Joanna and all the team, we always tell you every week, go to next steps. Go to next steps. What is next steps? It's a class. The, the, the miracle's not in the class. The miracle's in the process that you would take a step in the direction to discover how God created you, that you uncover your personality and your spiritual gifts. Why does that matter? Because we believe design reveals destiny and you will never find hope until you realize how God made you. That's where it's like, okay, God, I have purpose. I have me. And so when we get up here and we say next steps happens after this service, what we want is, God, I want hope. I know what to do, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to go beat the Baptists at the roadhouse. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go back home. You know, I, I don't want to go to that next steps. I don't know anybody there. I don't like Olive Garden. <laughs> you know what to do. Maybe you need healing in your physical body. 
listen, and, and I, I'm gonna say this real gently, maybe, maybe you have some cholesterol issues, you've got some heart disease, maybe you've got some diabetes, listen. And God says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal you, but I need you to stop eating that gallon of Bluebell every single night. Like, you can't do it, you can't eat the cheeseburger every single day. You can't eat those fries, you can't eat the desserts, you can't have everything, you can't have those hot wings and pizza for lunch. I know, and, and so what we do, but listen, this is what we want. We want someone to come down here and late. So this is what Naaman said, wave your hand over my disease. And so, you know, the altar is like, hey, and listen, just hear my heart. Pray for my sickness. We're going to pray for it. But it's like you're going to eat like that and then ask us to pray for your healing. Why? Because we want it different. We don't want the natural and the supernatural. Sometimes we think God is this genie in heaven that he's just going to do his hair, just give us our wishes outside of us acting in the natural. Listen, we've got to do some natural things that bring healing in our body and he does the supernatural. I'm going to tell you a story. A couple years ago, it was about two years ago. You don't know this. I've actually never shared it with anybody. Two and a half years ago, I was having real problems swallowing. I mean, it was really scary. I was in Alabama and uh, I could tell my throat was closing up. And so I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. It was pretty scary. I, in Alabama, I took a pill and it got stuck in my throat. I'm in a hotel by myself. Nobody's around. I think I'm going to die. It's that stuck. Like I'm <laughs> so bad that I go and put myself in the Heimlich maneuver over the bathtub. And I'm giving myself the Heimlich to try to get this thing out of my throat. Thank God I made it. I'm here. It's, it's, I'm here. <laughs> I've actually never told anybody about Phyllis that. And, and so I, I really got scared. I'm like, something is wrong with devil. You are defeated. Like you're trying to close my mouth and I'm going <laughs> to preach the gospel. Like you're a liar. Somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just defeated. And uh, so I'm praying scripture. I'm praying, hey, pray for me. Phyllis, pray for Phyllis is concerned. Like when I take pills, she's watching. She's like, she <laughs> so I go to see the doctor and he sends me to a gastroenterologist. And so I'm like, why are you sending me to a stomach doctor? He says, just go see the doctor. And so I go see the doctor and he said, I think I know what it is, but we're going to have to put you under and do a scope. And I said, I don't care. Just do whatever you have to do. So they put me under, do a scope. He gets done. He said, I know what it is. I said, what is it? He said, it is chronic acid reflux, heartburn, heartburn. Like, and so I said, what are you, like, it's up here. My stomach is down here. Like, what are you talking about heartburn? He said, well, what happens is you can, I said, I don't even feel heartburn. Like, it's not like I have this sensation of heartburn. He said, but you, your, your, uh, your throat and esophagus, it can come up so high while you're sleeping that it's swollen and it starts to close your esophagus. And I said, well, that's crazy. I've never had that happen before. He said, how old are you? Some, you know, 39 back then. And he said, well, tell me what you eat. I'm like, man, it's not what I eat. I eat brownies and muffins and pizza and McDonald's. I mean, he said, well, that's exactly why you're having this. You have a terrible diet. And I thought, well, what are you talking about? Like, I'm young. He's like, you ain't that young. And he said, the truth is, when I went in, you've been having this for so long, it's going to take three to six months of eating right just to fix it. And he said, but the good thing is this, your body has a way to naturally heal itself if you will do what's right. Go eat healthy. 
Here's some pills to help you. Put me on a regimen for 30 days. It helped. To this day, I don't have a problem swallowing. What's my point? I had to know what to do and to do it. And now what? I am healed of this thing that was bothering me and almost ended my life. It's crazy. Each and every one of us, you've got an area. I wonder if where God is saying there's some natural things that you've got to do and to experience the miracle that we're asking God for. And I know this obedience is simple, but it's never easy. Listen, eating salads every day, Joanna's my assistant. She gives me the same salad every day, some grilled chicken. It is bland. It is terrible. It is not, well, it's not, it's okay. I do eat a little bit of muffins still. I do eat some, some cookies. But the truth is, it's not easy to do what we need to do to experience what it is that we're trying to experience. And with God, listen, tithing's not easy. Giving offerings, not easy. Doing what we want or don't want to experience what we want from God, that is not easy, but it's simple. God never made it hard. I love with Naaman, listen, he didn't make this complex riddle, like go solve this riddle. When you figure out the riddle, maybe, just maybe, you'll be, it was very clear, very plain, very matter of fact. I love spirituality. I love spiritual things, and I love revelation, but I, I really believe we've gotten carried away. Like, we think it's deep when you're confused. You, you know what I mean? Oh, it's deep. What do he say? I don't know, but it was good. You know what I think is deep? Simple. Something I can live out. Look at Jesus. He didn't go out there to try to confound the, the masses. He talked in parables. He talked in everyday language. That's why the religious didn't like him or understand him. Why wouldn't you use your pedigree to, to make people look up to you? Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm going to talk in simple ways. I'm here to reach the lost, the sinner. And I think that's what wisdom and, and really revelation really is all about. It's, it's God just revealing the natural things that we've got to do. Look at what happens. He says, so he's mad. He's, he's leaving. He's frustrated. He's aggravated. He's offended. God's not doing it the way he wanted it done. It says, but his servant got off. So he was about to leave. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm done with Anchor Ben. I'm mad at the pastor. That small group didn't work. He talked about money. So he was out the door, gone, mad. And look, his entourage, his small group, the people he surrounded himself with, look at it. It says, but his servant caught up with him and said, Father, which is a term of endearment, Father, if the prophet had asked you to do something hard or heroic, wouldn't you have done it? Why not this simple wash and be clean? And look at what it says. It says, so he did it. He went down and immersed himself in the Jordan seven times, followed the orders of the most holy man. His skin was healed. It was like the skin of a baby. He was good as new. Here's the last thing. When you know what to do? Just do it. We'll steal it from Nike for now. Just do it. I don't like it. Doesn't matter. Just do it. I mean, th this is what you got to really look at. Do you want your breakthrough bad enough? Do you want your, but, but some people don't. And this is what I've come to learn too. Some people are happy in their sickness. Some people become comfortable in their dysfunction. Why? Because it gives them an excuse for people to look sad and, and to empathize and to say, woe is me. But I believe this God is raising up a church full of people that say, I'm not going to stay sick. I'm going to experience the healing and the miracle and the breakthrough that God has for me in my life.
breakthrough, breakthrough. She's got to do it. And I want to encourage you this morning, you know, the, the words that I believe have not only been spoken, but have been captured in our hearts. What you got to do is then say, okay, God, what's my plan? What, what, what am I going to do? What, I, I, I've got to find where you spoke this in my life and whatever the area is that you need healing in and say, God, just speak to me clearly and whatever you say, I'll do it. Whatever it is. Some of you, you got to find your entourage. You got to find your small group. You got to find your people. You got to find those that you're doing life with. The enemy has isolated you for so long. You've been living in defeat. Some of you, you've got to come alive with purpose. Go to next steps. Some of you just got to eat right. Say no to the tacos. <laughs> and the brownies. And the muffins. But that's simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's simple. 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 Now look, let me just also go back to this. I know you can do all that and still be afflicted with diabetes, cholesterol, and heart disease. But I do know this. If we'll do what we can do, then God will do what only God can do. I want to pray over us this morning. and I really pray that God has spoken to you in a powerful way. Just breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. I believe in this is going to be a year unlike any year you've ever experienced. Get your hopes up. Allow God to speak to you. There, there is a season right now of God speaking in a, in a clear way. I really have sensed it. I've heard people say, God's speaking to me. But you've got to draw into God. Pursue God. Father, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for this wonderful church that each and every morning we get to come and be a part of what you're doing here. God, I'm asking you, let your words resonate in our heart that just as Naaman experienced his miracle, let us experience ours. That God, you show us what to do, you tell us what to do, and then ultimately, God, we just do it. It's really that simple. And God, I'm asking you to help us take those steps. Help us to move forward. Don't let us be stuck. Don't let us stay trapped. Don't let us stay enslaved in the prison of our past. But God set us free. Let us live it out with boldness and courage. Help us to live the life you've called us to live here on this earth. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There are some of you here this morning, you've never experienced true freedom. You've never surrendered your life to God. If you're here this morning and that's you, you've never given him everything, you've never, he might be on your list, but he's not the top of your list. I want to give you the opportunity to this morning to respond to his presence. You say, well, what do I do? We're going to pray a prayer. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that we then are saved. God, we confess that you are Lord. We confess it. Lord over what? Lord over our lives. What does that mean? That means we surrender everything to him. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I was doing last night. I don't need to know. He knows, and he still brought you here because he loved you. He gave his son to die just for you. Why? So that you could be healed, that you could be free. That's you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Before I do, I wonder if I could just see who I'm praying with. Heads bowed, eyes closed. That's you. You say, pastor, that's me. I'm here to surrender. Would you raise your hand? Raise it up high. Just say, I'm going to surrender this morning everything. Come on. So awesome. I see you. Come on, church. Clap. Give the Lord an ovation of praise. Put your hands down. I'm so proud of each of you. 
I'm going to lead us in this prayer. Let's pray together. Jesus, I need you. I surrender everything right now. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be everything to me. Fill me with your spirit. I give you all my hopes. I give you all my dreams. I give you my future. It's yours right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, worship God this morning. So good.